A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Russian agents bought Facebook ads targeted to voters in crucial swing states in last year's election. But the implications of our attention economy on our democracy go far beyond 2016. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Welcome to another episode of Pantsuit Politics. Thanks for joining us. We really appreciated all your great feedback on last week's show. And we're here again this week talking about Facebook. Always a controversial topic. Before we get started, we wanted to thank everybody for your support on our Patreon page. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash pantsuit politics. We'll be doing our bonus episode for the month. Um, this week, it's going to be us talking about homes because I just bought a house and it's all I can think about. And I'm really excited, particularly about Bren, one of our listeners who I feel like is always redoing something. So I can't wait to have his expertise on that happy hour call. So we're going to do three sections of our show as always today. The first section, as we have talked about lots of different topics, is coming together as masculine energy in the world, Mm. we'll say. And then secondly, we're going to dive into Facebook more and specifically into why is all this money spent on Facebook so effective? And then we'll end the show as always talking about what we're thinking about beyond politics. So I have been particularly thinking about masculinity, not just because friendly reminder, Sarah lives in a house with four boys, three boys, one man. I have three sons, eight ages eight, six, and two, and a nice, nice husband. So I live with a lot of guys and I love them all very, very much. But I have been thinking a lot about masculinity triggered in part because my friend Jessica sent me a really great article um, that we'll share in the show notes about the shooter in Las Vegas. This was written by um, 
a person who I believe attended a high school near Columbine. And this person was just talking about why do we talk about mental illness when really the common thread between all these shootings is that these mass shootings are perpetuated totally and completely by men. And so this article recommended The Mask You Live In, which is a documentary made by... um, I forgot her. Newsom is her last name. It's uh, Gavin Newsom's wife. And she made a great movie called Misrepresentation about uh, female representation of the media and how it affects us. And then she had a son and she made this documentary called The Mask You Live In, which is about masculinity. And I've been wanting to see it forever. And then now it's finally free on Netflix. We'll also put a, a link to that in the show notes. And they also talk about mass shootings. They talk about, um, just sort of the effect of masculinity with regards to the sexual objectification of women, sexual harassment, violence, um, crime, all these all these different components of sort of the box we put men in and how that plays out in our society. And it seems to be playing out our society in lots of events, uh, current events right now, Beth. It does. The director that you're looking for is Jennifer Newsom. I Googled that while you were talking so that we could make sure to call out her name. I was thinking about this uh, when I read your the article that you posted, Sarah. I had been thinking so much about the Harvey Weinstein story mm. and about the reactions to that story and how strange it was for me this weekend to watch this story that's really about women and the effect that this man has had on women in their careers and the challenges to speaking out about it and the bravery of Ashley Judd and Rose McGowan and other people who are speaking out about it. But instead of telling that story, it seems like everyone is more interested in the story of partisan politics Mm -hmm. surrounding Harvey Weinstein, which just tells me that we are so driven by transactional forces instead of relational forces. Right. Right. It's not, hey, there are serious cultural issues that gave rise to this and that worsened it. Instead, it's, well, look at Donald Trump or what does Hillary Clinton have to say about it? I just have to stop for a second and say that the Republican National Committee, to the extent that it ever had any value, has gone for me to a complete negative in our society. I cannot Mm -hmm. believe the depravity of the reaction from the RNC and specifically from its chairwoman in response to this story. Yeah. This whole like, gotcha. See, liberals are bad too is really gross. Hello. And also not a surprise to any liberal woman on the planet. One of my favorite books of all time is big girls don't cry, which is Rebecca Traster's book on the 2008 and 2007 primary with uh, Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. And I mean, it was like total amazing therapy for me to read this and be like, oh my God, yes, there was all this sexism surrounded by progressive men that I didn't think were supposed to be sexist. Like I'll never forget when I was working for Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign that one of the other interns kept commenting on the looks of the news reporters. And I said, basically, like, you have to stop doing that. It's making all the women here uncomfortable. It's really sexist. And he said, I can't be sexist. I work for Hillary Clinton. What? No, that's not how it works. And it was, you know, the way that progressive men would talk about her. I mean, it's not a surprise to me that, you know, Bill Cosby or Harvey Weinstein or people in quote unquote liberal Hollywood are just as sexist and just as um, sort of violent and demeaning towards women. I mean, have you ever seen a Hollywood film? I, I just don't know why it has to break down this way. Like the trap of masculinity and misogyny and sexism is pervasive across the political spectrum. Nobody has a monopoly on that and nobody gets to play gotcha with that. No, and it's not owned solely by men. I mean, we are Mm -hmm. steeped in misogyny just as we are in racism in a lot of ways. And so I don't feel unaffected by that in terms of my own reactions. There are times when I have a reaction to a woman and I step back and think, how would I reflect on this behavior if it were coming from a man? And the, the answer is often quite differently. Yeah. And I think that recognizing that is this isn't about demonizing anyone. It's about saying we've got a real problem here. And this story about Harvey Weinstein should just be one story 
that demonstrates that problem. But we're not going to cure the world of this by making sure that Chuck Schumer gives back every dollar he ever received from him. Like we're we are really reducing what happened to these women and what happens to women who don't have anywhere near the sense of agency that Ashley Judd has when we talk about it this way. And I just don't understand. I really can't make sense in my mind of how a moment in time in which Bill Cosby is brought down and Roger Ailes is brought down and Harvey Weinstein is brought down. All these different men. Now, I think a huge part of this is that these men were no longer at the peak of their power. I think that's a big part of this. Um, But it is so just weird. I don't know any other word for it. It's so weird that all this is happening after we elected a man who was caught on tape saying you got to grab him by the pussy. Like I just, I cannot fit those things together in my mind. I need like some feminist scholars out there to help me put these pieces together because I'm just sort of dumbfounded by it all. I can understand that. And it also makes perfect sense to me that all of these forces are, I'm not a scientist, so I'm not going to say this well, but I think about a bunch of chemicals reacting to one another. Mm. And it makes sense to me that this is all happening at the same time. Because it's almost like you saw what happened. It's almost like, you, you know, the putting him in the Oval Office was such an affront that it almost just it just what worse could happen so why don't i just come out you know what i mean like it's almost in a weird way that before when there was more of a connection to um political correctness and um watching what we say that 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 almost had a and I you know look I'm a proponent of political correctness but it, it's almost like it had a silencing effect in a way because when all the nastiness wasn't out there on the table there was more of a protective instinct to keep it quiet on on the sides of maybe everybody and once it just his nastiness was on full display I think there was a maybe there's just this sort of well what do we have left to lose you know. There's a woman in my life who has been very generous in telling her painful stories to me. And she had an experience early in her career of being physically assaulted by a boss. Mm. And she has continued to deal with difficult things in her career and has said to me before, sometimes that felt easier than the less obvious you know, the more subtle, the more insidious Mm -hmm. things that are so pervasive. It's kind of like the story that you've been telling Sarah from Hillary Clinton's book about what's water. I think that that's a little bit of the culture and, and probably part of why this has been going on in Hollywood for so long, because it just was, it's just, it's the water that everybody swims in. And that to me is the mistake of the way that we're talking about all of this right now. It's, pretending that this is about Hollywood or that it's about Donald Trump or that it's about politics. When the truth of the matter is the way that we interact men and women, and you saw this bubble up around Mike Pence too, right? Mm -hmm. The way that men and women interact with one another in a variety of transactional ecosystems is complex. And it's something that every single one of us has ownership in. Well, and what I don't want to happen, and this is what this goes back to the conversation that we had about sexual assault and why I think focusing on the toxic culture of masculinity is important because not just because of sexual harassment and sexual assault, but because of mass shootings and these um, effects is if we make it just about Harvey Weinstein or Bill Cosby or Roger Ailes or taking these people out and making sure they get fired and not talking about, okay, but from which, from, from which water did they spring? You know what I mean? Like what toxic soup created 
these people and created people that made these choices and felt comfortable making these choices, then we're going to miss an opportunity. And all the people who didn't perpetuate those acts, but who created a climate in which Mm -hmm. the victims of those acts could not say anything, have have some exploration to do as well. And none of this, to be clear, is to forgive or to dismiss. We think they should be fired, right? It's just, what's the and from there? Right. Because I think what the, you know, and I think this is particularly important with regards to the mass shootings and not making this about quote unquote evil, but saying, asking the question, why do men perpetuate these acts? Why is it men that that are that do most of the violent acts in our society? You know, I think this is a question I think a lot about as a mother of three boys. Why is violence the only tool that men, many, many, many men feel they have? Why? Why is that? Because that's the only option we give them. Because we say the only choice you have is to feel angry and to lash out and to use your physical presence to solve your problems. Because that is a problem. That is a huge problem in our society. And when I think a lot about with my boys, I don't want them to feel like that. I don't want them to feel like violence is the only option available to them. I think that we certainly reward that option. Mm-hmm. And we send a lot of messages about the importance of being tall or otherwise being physically imposing, just mm-hmm. like we tell girls to be small. Mm-hmm. The activities that we encourage boys to participate in are largely about physical dominance. And I think that it's been helpful to have this sort of geek culture come up, but we're, we've put men in a new set of roles with that culture and kept them in the same social circumstances. Box. Yeah. Cause it's not like geek culture doesn't have its own sexism problem. Well, exactly. And, and I think that a lot of this comes down to, I've been thinking so much about the difference between, um, what I, what I keep talking about is transactional versus relational ecosystems. So the thing that I, I'm coming to understand about the president. Donald Trump is always winning or losing in his mind. Mm-hmm. He's never being or learning or developing something. It's you're you're winning or you're losing. I've been sad to see this spat with Bob Corker unfold over the weekend because it feels to me like while Bob Corker is saying some things that on the one hand my less mature brain finds cathartic. Um, I realize that Trump is kind of sucking him into who can score the most points. And I think that's where we are for everything. And I think that's why men can feel so isolated because if, if your only options are to be winning or losing, there is no space in your life for any kind of resilience. Well, and I think that's what the whole... Mike Plint, Mike Pence flies from Vegas to, to the Colts game just to leave after when they kneeled during the anthem was about to. That Absolutely. Was, it was so obvious, so obvious, dude, what that was about. Because I feel like, you know, if I'm really, if I'm trying to get down to the core of it, I feel like these are the options. The only options women have are to give and the only options men have are to take. That's the only options presented to us. And that to say, to to make a great understatement is limiting because human beings need to do both to fully express their worth and their value. And to only say your only capability is to take like there's a part in the mask you live in when they say, he says, think about how we teach boys to talk about sex, hit that. Tap that, tear Mm -hmm. that up. You know, that's the only, that's what they're taught. They're taught you take, you're fearless, you go, you risk, you push, you win, you take, you score points, you take, you take, you take. And 
And, you know, I think women, and I think we've talked about this, sort of the good girls, you give. You give, you learn. You give to the community. You give to your children. You give to your spouse. You give to your friends. You give, you give, you give. And that leaves both sides depleted and empty. And that how that how that expresses itself as some of the problems in our society. Well, exactly. Because so when you say men only take, of course, there are men doing enormous acts of generosity. And of course, there are um, men who dedicate their lives to giving to other people. What you're saying is that extracts a psychological price. Because Mm -hmm. that's not what we reward men for typically. Right, exactly. And there are women who take, and that Mm -hmm. extracts a psychological price because that's not what we reward women for typically. And so when you try to have a sense of understanding about mass shooters that transcends that that was evil, I think what you come to is... If you're being told that your worth in life is how much you have taken and you feel lonely Mm -hmm. or you feel isolated or your expectations for your own life, whatever they are, have been disappointed, you can start to understand how that develops into something scary pretty quickly. Yeah. One of my favorite two words they put together in that film, they called it aggrieved entitlement. And I thought, oh, my Lord, that describes so much going on in our culture right now. Aggrieved entitlement. It's that you told me I was entitled to a certain amount of power and I don't have it. And why is that? And I am upset about that. Aggrieved entitlement. I thought that was so good. That is a really good phrase. And I I feel the need to say again, you know, as we have this conversation, we're not trying to be like the height of moral relativism here. There are things that are acted upon from all of this mix that are right and wrong. You know, Lisa Bloom took so much heat over that old dinosaur statement that she made about Harvey Weinstein. And I think that her situation is complicated and deserving of some criticism. And we do have to look at the context of everything happening if we want to change it in the future. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean we condone the context. Absolutely not. And we don't condone the actions based on the context. But dang, if we can't even ask questions about how we got here, how are we ever supposed to figure out a path forward? Should we compliment the other side and then turn sure. to Facebook and the attention economy? So I am going to compliment Dean Heller and the other eight senators who signed his letter asking the ATF to review bump stocks. I don't think that there has been enough sort of, I'm not saying praise gold ribbons, but to blow off any give from the National Rifle Association and the GOP on issues of bump stock, I think is problematic. Um, It's not that... Getting rid of bump stock is the end-all, be-all solution. But, you know, dang, any movement at all, I feel like, deserves at least a little bit of praise. And so I'm going to praise it. My request, if I can add on to your praise, is to write a bill and pass that through Congress instead of doing it through the administrative process. So Mm -hmm. I hope that they'll move in that direction. I wanted to compliment Diane Feinstein. I saw her on Meet the Press yesterday. And honestly, I just admire women who seem to grow more powerful throughout their careers. And mm-hmm. I think that that is, she just seems more comfortable as herself all the time. She was pretty honest about where she is on the Second Amendment and on issues of guns. And while I find a lot of space of both agreement and disagreement with her on a variety of topics, I just have a lot of admiration for her. Yeah. I mean, and you have to think like she was there when Harvey Milk was killed. And so to me, it's like she just has a lot of moral authority and to have been traumatized by an event like that and to stay in public service through all her um, really decades of service at this point and to stay focused on this issue and to really serve the people of California. And I Big don't fan. see her, I don't see her grandstanding about that either. Mm-mm. I feel like she does the work. I didn't know about it till I saw the dang movie. She writes legislation, you know, she, yeah. she clearly reads what is put in front of her and her committee roles. I think that she really tries to go to Washington, D.C. and work hard on behalf of her constituents. Good job, Senator Feinstein. All right. Up next, we're going to talk about Facebook. 
just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour, Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and Jean also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy. So this weekend, I read an article that Ann Bogle from What Should I Read Next linked called How Information Overload Robs Us of Our Own Creativity with the Scientific Research Shows. And I went in thinking that I was going to be reading and thinking a lot about creativity in my phone. And then I read a sentence that sort of blew my brain wide open on the impact for our politics. And I texted Beth very excited. And this was the sentence. Our brains have limited resources. When constrained and overwhelmed with thoughts, they pursue well-trod paths of least resistance, trying to efficiently bring order to chaos. And I thought, oh my God, that's our current political environment. We have the chaos candidate, we have the chaos president, and we have these little supercomputer in our hands that are constantly overloading us in a growingly complex world with more and more information And so when we are overwhelmed in politics, what do we do? Okay, we're going to do what we do anywhere else, which is trod the path of least resistance, which is you're the problem. The other party is the problem. 
Um, immigrants are the problem. Black people are the problem. Quarterbacks are the problem. Um, and not take the time or not be capable of taking the time because we've used up all our brain capacity on checking Facebook 15 times a day. 15 is 15 times an hour. And so what limited resources we have is to do this us them polarization nightmare we all find ourselves in. And it just sort of, it was like I saw the water all of a sudden. I think that's right. And as I started doing some research after you sent that to me, learning about the thousands of times we're reaching for our phone every day, literally thousands of times Mm -hmm. and the brain impact of notifications on our phones. I read this great article about turning the notification symbol to red because red produces the biggest impact in our brains, right? And so when you have your little icon on your screen and the notification number pops up in a red circle, it has more of an impact on you. It's more addictive. It's basically like ramping up the nicotine in cigarettes, right? Mm -hmm. How can we keep you coming back again and again to this technology? And I think that's something that we need to seriously consider. Before you sent me this article and we started talking about this, I had been thinking about Facebook and Twitter and Google in the antitrust context and and in the campaign finance context, because disclosure over certain financial thresholds means nothing in the social media world where it's so inexpensive to buy advertising and not just to buy advertising, but to target it to individuals so that it has the most impact. And when you look at that landscape, our existing laws are just completely obsolete. Mm-hmm. But this research and these articles made me think less about all of that information, which I think if you are framing it up as a problem of antitrust or are should these be public utilities and how should we regulate them, I think that leads you to frame the question up very differently than if you start saying, why is this so effective? Mm-hmm. Well, one of my favorite podcasts is Note to Self, and we'll link to it in the show notes. And they've been having really, really great conversations about this. And I'll never forgot forget when she had the guy um, on that designed the Snapchat um, streak. So if you Snapchat with somebody and they Snapchat with you and you get a like a, basically a point every day and you build up these streaks. And it is so addictive because... In an advertising environment in which your eyes are the currency, it's the attention economy, right? What they're competing for is your attention, your literal brain power. And that is really scary when the addictiveness is built into the app. So due in part because of Note to Self and their conversations about this, I installed an app on my phone called Reels ID, and again, we'll put it in the show notes, that tracks my phone usage. So when I have Facebook and Twitter on my, the apps on my phone, which often I delete and force myself to go through the URL because it takes out a lot of the addictive, um, components. For example, like on the Facebook, when you, when you scroll, how it kind of keeps scrolling, you know, you know how it flows and it just keeps kind of going. It's, it doesn't do that on the Safari browser. So you really have to go inch by inch by inch. But when I have it, when I have those app installed on my phone, I use my phone for about four hours a day and I pick it up anytime, anywhere from 85 to 115 times a day. So three and a half hours a day, let's say, let's just cut it down just a little bit times seven. That's 24 hours in a week. That's one whole day a week I spend looking at my phone. That's terrifying. You know, that's really scary. And when I delete them, I do better, but there is so so many times that I feel like I have to pick it up because I have a question or I store some information I need inside my phone. And I've just, when you start to see how often, when you think about picking it up and when you see how often you pick it up to ask a question, to find something out, or because you've just bumped up against a bored moment or you're thinking about something hard. I got a lot of hard, stressful things in my life. And so when I think about an issue that I don't know the answer to or that's stressing me out 
And I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do about that. And I feel that uncomfortable moment where I feel discomfort. I feel sad or I feel stressed and I can just instinctively I reach for it because I can check New York Times or I can check Twitter and I can take myself out of the moment in which I feel uncomfortable with my own life. And it's just so scary. It's scary when you think about it just inside your own life. And so when I thought about, oh, my God, the impact on the election, and I don't know why it took me so long to figure this out, because I tell people all the time, Facebook is why I won my election, because I had a list of likely voters that was an audience I built, and I spent a lot of advertising money getting in front of them over and over and over again. And why, you know, why didn't I think that Russia could have done the same thing? I don't know. It's just because it's so scary, I guess. And because every time I start to think about it and get scared, I pick up my phone and check Facebook. (laughs) You know, I tell people in the context of talking about organizational change all the time that you have to be like a river. You have to understand that you need to take your little drops of water through this path over and over and over again. And eventually that path will get wider and eventually Mm -hmm. you'll carve into the landscape something new but that it's never going to be one program or one meeting or one conversation that does it. You have to, over time, erode away a section of land. And what kept occurring to me reading these articles is that our use of Twitter and Facebook and specifically the advertising, and I mean advertising quite broadly, that's happening in those spaces is carving pathways in our brains. In that same mm-hmm. way, Absolutely. because if you are and and most of us curate unconsciously a set of influencers that we go to over and over again, and at some point those influencers shrink to be things that make us feel good because that's what this whole experience is about. Mm-hmm. So you're mostly taking in sources that either provoke outrage or hallelujah from you and not a lot of in between. And I have been really cutting back on my social media usage lately because I recognize that I am compelled to tweet only from those two places. Mm. And it becomes less about sharing something to make a space for an interaction and more about just releasing either that hooray or boo, you know, to put it very simply. That's so true. So true. That's so good, Beth. Well, and I think about the fact that the variable, they call it the variable reward effect. So basically, if you give mice a lever and every time they press it they get a treat they will actually press it less often than if the treat comes out randomly if the treat comes out randomly they they will just obsessively press the lever because it's like you know it's like a slot machine and how often is it going to be something great and that's what happens with email or facebook or twitter is you don't know when you're going to hit something that's going to make you really laugh or an interaction with an old friend that you're gonna be like oh my god i love that person and that does happen to me on facebook listen Pantsu politics would not exist without Facebook. Let's be real clear on that. Because Beth and I would have lost touch and we would not have been interacting. And we wouldn't have built a community without social media. That's the hard thing. I don't want to talk about all of this with some sense of nostalgia because I don't feel that. I think these are useful tools. I don't think we should step away from them. I think we should be big enough as people to learn to use them in a healthy way. Yeah. And and it's so hard because of that variable reward, though. I mean, we're dealing with... Monkey brains, we're dealing with the elephant and the tiny little person steering it. And I feel like when I'm trying to deal with my own social media usage, it's, it's not one elephant. It's a dang near herd of elephants I'm trying to control. And it is very, very hard. I'm just going to be really honest. It's very hard. You want to drudge a drug addict? Put your phone down for a week. Like, it's hard. Right. It's so hard. Those parallels and, are direct to, not to interrupt you, but th- yeah. when you talked about the slot machine, the designer of the pull to refresh feature of Twitter didn't intend to mimic a a slot machine, but that's what it does, right? There is no digital reason to need to pull to refresh now. Our apps can do that on their own, but that's a great addictive feature. Why do they keep it? Ask yourself that. And 
you know, with regards to, like you said, particularly our politics and in the face of a president who is the, you know, it's almost like we should stop calling him the chaos candidate like Jeb Bush and start calling him the distraction candidate because that's what he is. He is a, and it doesn't matter if you support him or you don't. If you don't think you use Donald Trump to distract you from hard things in your life, take a harder look. Because I would, you know, wager to guess that we are all doing that. We are all doing that. We are all using him to distract ourselves. And maybe it's just from the pain of some of his policies. But instead of just being, you know, outraged, there was an amazing article that one of the listener, one of our listeners sent us from Fox called Mindful Resistance. And this person made a really good argument that sort of what you said, if you're only doing boo or yay, and you're not engaging with the hard questions and the hard work of um, the resistance or whatever you want to call it, then what are we really accomplishing? And, you know, I think that that is so, so hard. It's just a hard question to ask ourselves. And in that article, you're talking about the attention economy and the demise of the middle of ground. You know, I've thought about that a lot, just the attention economy, because with it, I remember having this thought when I was listening to Note to Self once. So the food industry, which has, you know, destroyed our health. I just, I mean, I don't want to be hyperbolic here. But, you know, when you're talking about products and sugar, because you can see it now flowing across the rest of the world. There's been a lot of articles recently about how these food companies, now that there is a, a bigger push for health in the United States, are moving into third world countries, into South America, Latin America. And guess what follows right behind them? Diabetes, um, high blood pressure, hypertension, heart disease. So, I mean, we know the effects of that diet. And what that diet came about because they were competing over a finite amount of calories that human beings take in, in a day. And so how much scarier is it when you have a market that is competing over our literal brains, our actual capacity, our time, our time and our brain power, which is a finite resources, a finite resource too. And I am so scared to think about the, you know, the equivalent of hypertension and diabetes and obesity with regards to our time and our minds. And I think that we are seeing some of that, right? My pastor devoted her sermon yesterday to what I'll capture as the spirituality of neuroplasticity. Mm. And she talked about brain research and how critical it is when you think about dementia and what happens to our brain over time to be socially engaged, to be learning new things. And by socially engaged, she means with people who are different from you and to limit your television intake. And if we know that about our brains for the baby boomer generation, imagine what we're going to know about our social media use and the games we play on our phones and all of the digital intake we have that limits our capacity for learning. I think about my daughter is in a classroom that uses Class Dojo. Are you familiar with this, Sarah? I am not. Okay. I just want to be really open and say I love teachers. I don't want to second guess what people are doing in their classrooms. As a parent, I hate this tool. And so forgive me if you use it in your classroom and love it. And feel, please email me and let's talk about it. Because oh, wait, the- is this the one where they send you pictures and stuff? No, on the outside with Class Dojo, what I see is it's a it's a classroom management tool. So every kid has a dojo avatar and throughout the day they get they gain or lose points for yes. their behaviors. Yes, we ha- I do I have I have had a couple teachers like sign it up, but I don't think they really use it that. They just use it to like share pictures of the field trips and stuff. So every day I see Jane has plus seven and it's plus one for listening and plus two for following classroom procedures and minus one for talking in the hallway. And 
I went to curriculum night and learned that this is happening throughout the day, almost like an app running in the background. And so there are sounds associated with gaining or losing dojos. And all of that feels Pavlovian to me in a way that I can't fully express my frustration with. And also Jane comes home sometimes not understanding that or why she gained or lost points. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible. And skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies. So we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin. I take a probiotic. And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze. And its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered shower head purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code podcast15. So. In my mind, we're starting awfully young with gamifying everything. Mm -hmm. And that, and back to that transactional sense, you're always gaining or losing something. Yeah. And here's a tool to help us avoid the difficult human interactions of managing your behavior. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, I think that that is, it's, I think the problem is that there's a lot of that, even if you're not using an app for it in school. And I get it when you're managing a large group, there has to be sort of like we, we pull clips at my school, your skip, your clip went up or down. It's all about your, it's so behavioral focused. It's so externalized behavior. And this weekend when we were um, packing and cleaning up and I had this box of trophies I've kept from elementary school 
And I took a few of the, I, I did future problem solving, which I love. So I took one of those trophies and turned it into an ornament. And I took a couple other things, but I was going to throw the rest away. And before I did, I brought Griffin and Amos out and I said, I just want you to see this because do you see all these trophies that mommy got for doing, being good grades or doing what people expected me to do in school? And they're like, yeah. And I said, I'm going to throw them all away now. And they were like, what? And I said, I am. I'm going to throw it all away because I don't need trophies to tell me I'm smart and that I'm a good person. I make choices and I'm worthy of love and support, whether I get a trophy or not. And it's not that we don't make good choices. And because um, we want to be a good member of the school and we want to be a good member of the group. But let's not make it all about points and and trophies and ribbons and all these external things. Let's do it because it makes us feel good, not because we need other people to tell us we're good. And that is very different from the stereotype of everybody gets a trophy thinking. Yeah, There are situations where you do win or lose, and you need to have the life and coping skills to do both of those things gracefully. Mm-hmm. And not everything is about winning or losing. The way right. that you conduct yourself at school every day is much deeper than how many points you're going to get at the end of the day or how high you clip or whatever. And yeah. I understand. Or how many likes you get. Exactly. That's, that's the bridge, right? It's that by doing those things so early, which I, like you, I completely understand that we ask our teachers to do way too much, right? They shouldn't have to be developing those character skills and they are. And so I get that they're doing the best that they can in tough situations. And I don't fault any individual teacher for the way they choose to do that. Yeah. Cause listen, I got three kids. I don't know what I would do if I was in a room with like 27. Exactly. Collectively, I think clip up, clip down becomes likes and retweets, becomes Mm -hmm. my paycheck as the symbol of my worthiness, right? My end of the year raise and bonus as psychological triggers for me, which becomes manipulation of power at the highest levels, a la Harvey Weinstein and Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. And all Mm -hmm. of these things are related. I keep saying in therapy every week, I'll talk about like little situations in my life that have all these parallels to what's happening in the news or with the podcast or whatever. And I always say, it all feels the same to me. And my therapist always says, Beth, it all feels the same because it all is the same. Mm-hmm. This all is the same. It is all the same energy coursing through the universe. It's all the same questions being asked and playing out in different arenas. And so I think, yes, we should do the work of asking Facebook and Twitter and Google to do better with disclosure. And at the same time, understand that like we are willing recipients of all of this information and the way it's being pushed to us. And that's what I'm struggling with. You know, one of my worst moments as a parent is there's been a couple of times where I've said like, oh, Griffin, I'm going to post this Facebook. And then I'll tell him like, it's got so many likes. And he became like, he would start asking me like every, do we have more likes? Do we have more likes? And I thought, oh my God, what am I doing? I don't want to teach him to be like this. And, but it's at the same time, you know, I can see the positive influences. And so I don't know why in this area of my life, I do what I ask people not to do in other things, which is make it all about my individual choices instead of demanding better of the institution. Cause I think it has to do both. It has to be both. I think we have to say, Facebook, you're not doing a good enough job. You're exploiting us. And I think that there is a space for, you know, I understand I'm not saying we eliminate the attention economy. I understand that my presence in Facebook is what you're marketing. I've used that before in my own life and in my own businesses. But we have to think bigger and we have to think, I think it's it's indicative of something. I heard this amazing, again, on Note to Self, uh, it was a female software um, engineer, or I think she was a female coder from kind of way back. And she is seen as sort of, a really important thought leader in this in this area. And she said, you know, the leaders in Silicon Valley, because of sort of the mindset they have and the privilege they were born into, their product, they only see their products, um, sort of the positive implications. You know, I remember reading it. She said, I remember reading an interview with somebody about 3D printing and they were talking about everybody was like, well, what do you see as the implications for this? And they were like, oh, no, I think it's just going to be great. It's going to be medical. And, so, and she's like, well, what did the first thing somebody did? Somebody printed a gun. And they didn't even think about that. You know, like 
I think that we have to ask Silicon Valley to, you know, I know we all love the narratives of no, we don't do evil and we're here for the world and we're bridging the world and all that stuff. Like we all love the positive spin of that area of our culture, but we need to ask them to put their big boy and girl pants on, maybe invite some girls to the table, just throwing some ideas out there and say, look, we need to be honest about human nature and the ways in which these products might play out inside human nature, instead of thinking that they're going to change human nature because they're not. And, you know, forcing them to the table in those conversations Look, you know, what Bren, our, our North Star, he deactivated his Facebook account because he was so furious about the way they've handled this election stuff. And I don't think that is misplaced. I think that they are not being good stewards of the the trust that's been placed in them right now. And I don't know the answer to how to get them to do that most effectively. I was thinking about hate speech as I listened to on the media's episode called Trust Issues and uh, talking about groups that have been taken off different networks because they're so clearly hate speech and on the media actually interviewed um, one of the, I don't know, executives from a group like that. And he's just railing on and on about free speech. And, and on the one hand, I see the argument that Facebook and Twitter are functioning and Google are functioning like public utilities. Now, on the other hand, I want them to be able to take those guys down. I don't want to have First Amendment conversations about that stuff because this is all so pervasive. I would rather the alt-right have to go develop its own channels to have these discussions because I believe in public shunning. You can speak all you want to, but nobody else has to listen to you. So I am fully on board with these organizations functioning in private ways where I think there is some fertile ground, uh, both for the tools and for the candidates, is more disclosure. I'm just starting to understand dark ads on Facebook and Twitter. Yeah, I've never heard that expression before until you mentioned it. Yeah, how you can create an advertisement targeted to individual Facebook users that disappear unless you choose to share them. And I watched the 60 Minutes interview with Brad Parscale, um, the digital director for the Trump campaign, and he talked about how on average he made 60,000 advertisements a day, just changing colors, changing font, changing what was in the background, and then sending those out and testing what prompted people to click, what prompted people to donate, did people like the word donate versus support, mm. and and none of that was illegal. Right. I mean, everything. This is some guy from Kansas who lives in Texas now who taught himself how to do all this stuff. He thinks everything being said about Russia is nonsense. I don't think it's nonsense, but I understand his point of like, I'm just doing good advertising. And I think he did. And I think he was really effective. He said that he understood very early on that Twitter was like Donald Trump's microphone. That's how he talks to people. But Facebook is the highway his car drove on, that Facebook is how he won the election. And I don't think that he's wrong about that. And then when you add somebody like that, who's really learned how to manipulate these tools, plus an infusion of dollars from a foreign government, plus bots on Twitter, retweeting and just amplifying, amplifying, amplifying all of this mess, you understand how this happened. And I do think the tools themselves should not be embedded in these campaigns, helping people like that guy learn how to maximize their use. And Congress needs to get with the program and pass some legislation about how we regulate that kind of speech. Mm-hmm. Because our mm-hmm. existing laws don't get it. You know, what's the difference anymore? I understand how we got to the distinction between issue advertising versus candidate advertising. That that distinction is gone because yeah. we've made everything candidate advertising now. Yep. Because it's all it's in polarization. I mean, issues aren't even important anymore. No. We have we have literally said now that whether you stand or kneel for the national anthem is a statement of your support or opposition to the president. And in that kind of environment, those Supreme Court footnotes don't get it done anymore. Yeah. And I mean, I just think I think the takeaway for me is it's I was so focused on how people in politics were using social media 
that I had missed the fact that social media itself and our brains resources being used and increasing amounts by our smartphones were was affecting the politics itself. It's increasing polarization because our brains do not have the capacity um, to go into not only do we not have the like sort of the the capacity to think to think about hard things, but we are training our brains to be constantly distracted through the use of our phones. So, you know, even if we weren't using our phones, you know, picking up our phones a hundred times a day, then the, we're changing the way our brains themselves function by wearing those paths over and over again that say, if you bump up against something hard, pick up your phone. If you bump up against something hard, pick up your phone. Uh, swipe down, reload, reload, like, 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 you know, it's just, it's overwhelming and it's scary. I think that something that can't be missed in all this either is how anonymous we are online. Mm. When you talk about the comments to an internet story and how negative they go in a very quick amount of time, I think that's because even when we aren't functioning anonymously, we feel anonymous in this space. The space is still amorphous enough that we feel like we can kind of recede into it. And I'm coming to a point where I just don't have any interest in interacting with someone who won't at least use their real name and picture online. Yeah. And I fully understand why people want to protect their privacy. But more and more, especially with our show accounts, when someone is coming coming at us from a place of complete opacity, mm. I don't think they're there to participate in the community. Right. And if social media is to do good in the world, I think it has to be more attached to the world and to our personal realities. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm not sure we're ending on a hopeful note, but let's all not pick up our phones to distract ourselves from this hard conversation. <laughs> That'll be our success for today. That'll be our little victory. Well, and I think that, we, you know, that doesn't mean judge yourself when you do it. Mm-hmm. Just adding a layer of conscientiousness, understanding what's motivating us. I think that's all really important. I sent you, maybe we could end with this because I sent you my favorite little video of Pema Chodron talking about Dunzi, which is the Tibetan word for things that we use to distract us from the present moment. And she talks in it about if you look around on an airplane, you can see how fearful we all are of just being and being still and present with ourselves, we're like, where's my book? Where's my game? Where's Where are my headphones? What's on the screen? And there's something sort of terrifying about just existing in reality. And I think that's part of our work addiction that I'm so focused on lately. We, we are addicted to the sense of I'm important, I'm needed. That's how we're avoiding a lot of this isolation, right, through our work. And so I love thinking about what I'm doing through the lens of Pema and asking, like, is this just Dunsey? Am I learning anything from this or am I just uh, doing the digital version of chewing gum? All right. Well, up next, we're going to talk about what's on our mind beyond politics and Facebook and Dunsey. What's on your mind this week, Beth? You know, I uh, have been thinking about something that my therapist said. I've been thinking about a lot of things. I had great therapy this week. I feel like we should just call it life school instead of therapy because that's how it seems (laughs) to always play out for me. But when I was leaving, um, my therapist hugged me and he said, you make me better. And it just like flooded me with emotion because I thought it was the nicest thing that anybody could say to someone else. And, And it made me think about like how... I should say that more to the people in my life for whom it is true. And also, I should be looking for things that make me better, generally. Mm. So I've been like, that's part of my limiting my social media time, too. I've been just looking at everything, thinking like, does this make me better or not? And I think that that corresponds with some of what you're doing with your moving process of like looking at stuff and saying, does this make me better or not? You know, in what way does this 
enrich my life or not. So I've thrown a lot of things away and I have thrown a lot of expenses of energy away or put them on the shelf or drastically reduced them. Cause I think that little sense of like, does this make me better or not has been really poignant for me. Well, that's, that is what I've been thinking about. Cause I've been packing, we cleared my attic out, which is, um, a lot of stuff. I don't want to be a stuff manager. Like I really don't want my life to be spent picking up stuff and putting away stuff and buying stuff and getting rid of stuff and throwing away stuff and then doing it all again the next day. So I've been thinking very carefully about what we do take into our new house. And I'm trying to be really patient with the process. Patience is something that I don't have a lot of. And so I want to do it all quick and I want it to be done. I want to see the finished product be like, done, check. But I've really been trying to take my time and thinking through like, okay, so what am I going to feel? Does this bring me joy? Because I do think Con Marie, uh, the 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 magical art of oh dang, I've forgotten the name of the book. Con Marie, we all know what it is. Um, is very helpful in this process. And does this bring me joy? Like you said, does it make me better? Because there's just so many things that I keep in my house or that I've unpacked that are just about what if I need it? What if I need it? What if I could use it? What if I could? And so that, that what if, like, I don't want to fill my new house with like, what if, you know, I want to make space for what if to come into my life instead of trying to pull it in there by like keeping every little past craft supply that's like half used up. And it's just, it's hard. It's, it's making me real tired to go through my box of childhood trophies and to go through, um, all my knitting supplies. And it's just, it's, it's intense work. It's intense emotional work that makes me want to pick up my phone a lot, but I'm trying not to do that. Well, thank you all for joining us for another episode of Fancy Politics. We will be back with you on Friday until then. Keep it nuanced y'all. Thank you, as always, to our executive producers, Nicholas, Chad, Tracy, Leslie, and Sabrina. You can join us on social media, Instagram and Facebook at Paintsuit Politics and on Twitter at Paintsuit Politic, no S. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to Patreon.com or reviews are always helpful and you can leave one through the Apple Podcast app. Thank you to Dante Lima, the composer of our Paintsuit Politics theme music. 